Making an offer on a property can be both exciting and scary. And today we're going to run through some of the crazy mistakes buyers make with offers. Welcome to your first home buyer guide, the podcast for first home buyers who want to get it right. I'm Megan and that was Veronica. We're both buyers agents and probably old enough to be your mums. But that's a good thing because between us, we've got over 40 years experience and we are going to share with you bucket loads of stories about avoidable mistakes. Together, we're going to make sure that you get unbiased and real information that you can rely on so you can get where you want to be without missing a step. Now, we've got loads of great tips for you in this episode. And if you'd like more useful tools, head over to the website, homebuyeracademy.com.au. There you'll find free checklists that you can download, a free mini course on how to price a property and our where to buy a workshop for only $39. Priceless stuff, really. Bargain. But before we get into the interesting stuff in this week's episode, here's the boring bit, the disclaimer. You of course know that nothing in this podcast is to be taken as personal advice. We always recommend getting the advice of an expert in their field of expertise. Now we've done our very best to ensure that the content is correct at the time of recording, but things change. So check with the relevant government authority or your advisors to get the most up-to-date information. Today, we're talking about making offers and we'll run through a whole bunch of silly things that we see buyers do, common mistakes that really can be avoided once you know better. But before we get into that, there's a crazy house behind you (laughs) in the video this week, Megan. What the hell is that? Well, you know, I always go for houses, uh, real houses that people either live in or, you know, they're they're showpieces. Um, This just seems to suit the theme, don't you think? This is just an amusement ride and I loved it. It made me laugh. I'd love to go on it. You would. I hate rides for starters. I love them. That just looks like the ride from hell. Oh. Get you into the video. Can you see the people in there going, let me out. Let me out. <laughs> Hotel California, you can check out. You can never leave. <laughs> Onto the serious crazy things. We often hear buyers say that they don't know how much to offer on a property, but What we don't often hear them say is they don't know how to make an offer. And this is so important. And it's one of those things, Veronica, you don't know what you don't know. You Mm -hmm. think, oh, it's all right. I'll just come up with a price and I'll tell the agent what I'm prepared to pay. And then he'll come back and say, that's great. You've been accepted. (laughs) Doesn't quite work that way. It doesn't. It's the how that actually gets so many buyers unstuck during the offer process. And it's different (laughs) in every state, as we say in the course. Yep. It's different in every state. And the method of sale. So different agents as well. It's just so varied. So we're going to run through some of the crazy things that we have seen buyers do over our many years in real estate. And also you've got to remember that both Megan and I have been sales agents in Mm. our early careers, early real estate careers anyway. So, And we also talk to a lot of agents, right? So I don't know how many times I've spoken to an agent after a multiple offer or, or an auction campaign and and just heard the funny a- anecdotal stuff <laughs> that they tell us that people have done and uh, and, and how much it's ca- kind of made them laugh or, or raise their eyebrows in disbelief. Yeah, I mean, you know, I've told the story about how I bought my first property and, and I remember making the offer and then just, I don't know, just not knowing what to do just afterwards. Waiting. And the, yeah, and the agent <laughs> called me and well, what do 
you going to do next? And I'm like, well, I don't know. You tell me. It was like, how dangerous. You know, one of the things that that a lot of buyers do, they think they've got to gather, gather all this intelligence, all this information. They ask all these questions. You know, there's a lot of dumb questions that buyers ask. Um, that all there's seem some like, good questions too. But the there's point some being. great questions you should ask, but there's a lot of dumb questions that buyers do ask. And, and agents sort of have all these standard answers for all the standard questions. And you know what? In a lot of, uh, you know, I've read it in blogs, I've heard it on podcasts. You know, one of the questions you should always ask as a buyer, don't take it from us, take it from all these other places that really aren't that reliable, is ask the uh, ask the agent why the owner is selling. You know, it's like, yeah, sure, ask, but like, can you really rely on the answer? I mean, and so then- And then what are you going to do with the information? I mean, how well, many times have we said that? You, can you rely on the on the answer that you get, which is going no. to be a scripted answer, answer if they're a good agent? Yeah. And then what are you going to do with the information after you get it? Oh. Yeah. And then okay. you- well, So the big mistake is the crazy thing here is that they believe it and then they just act as if that's the truth. And it isn't quite often- but but then you know they so oh they want to be closer to the grandchildren. Yep. Well, where do the grandchildren live? Oh, just around the corner. Oh. <laughs> so what is it about this house that isn't as good as being around the corner? <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like sometimes the, the first question, crazy to ask a question and then not know what to do with the information. Yes. So you know, and that sort of leads into what a lot of buyers do when they make offers. They sort of create this story around mm-hmm. the vendor situation that it's actually not even true. Like how many times I've, I, I just, <laughs> I'm just <laughs> as I'm talking, I'm thinking of all these examples. You know, people that sort of come to me and say, right, well, I'm going to go and bid at auction, and I've already worked out that was it the owner, so the husband, he's actually um, he's got a partner suing him in his law firm, and. And, and the wife, she's not really happy about that. And, and so they're really embarrassed. And so they're going to move to a completely different suburb to get away from all the embarrassment. And you go, where did that idea even come from? Like, I've heard crazy things like that. And it's like they've made up this entire scenario in their head. And it's like, and even like if you go so into auction. it sounds auction, like there could be a bar- bargain there, Veronica. Yeah. That's, that's sounding like an agent has helped them to uh, think that there <laughs> is a bargain in the wind yeah. to be had. And instead, what they're not focusing on is that there's 10 other buyers interested in it. <laughs> Who cares what the vendor's motivation <laughs> is? <laughs> it just means that it's there's a high potential it will be sold on the day because the reserve <laughs> might be okay. But that's not to say the other bidders won't see great value over and above what you're prepared to pay. That's exactly right. It's like that old thing, you know, deceased estate. Remember that sort of is it the oh, real sort of myth around. There oh, you're- are actual buyer's agents who are the ambulance chasers yes. who are out there advertising that their methodology is to go for distressed sales. I know. That's just so rotten on, on so many levels. On so many levels. But it also doesn't mean that what you're getting is a good quality property either. No. And also, even even if it is distressed, if it's good, people will still fight over it. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't mm-hmm. actually matter. And look, the thing too, but, you know, when I was first in sales, that, that thing about, oh, if you put deceased estate on an ad, then it's always going to get more buyers because yes. all buyers think it has to be sold. So therefore, there's going to be a bargain. And so the actual correlation to deceased estate and not a bargain, you know, there was a, a very it, yeah, strong correlation. Actually, yeah, 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 that's right. So, so the value proposition is actually getting um, worse and worse when you put the deceased estate on. <laughs> Or you think that you know, there, there's some sort of distress involved in the, the sale. It simply means that there is a price at which those people would pay, uh, would accept that is lower than they might have, were they not under duress? Remember, 
market market value or market price is is actually defined as what a willing buyer and a willing seller will agree to in a normal market when neither is under duress. So if one is under duress, it simply means that they would potentially sell at a low, lower price, but it doesn't mean that everyone else isn't prepared to pay more than that lower price to get in where it's a tight market with not a lot of stock and a lot of buyers out there. Exactly. So that that's one of the crazy things. It's like a things. beacon, isn't it? Like it's like a, 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 a some sort of attraction magnet. Come to mama. <laughs> come, to, come to the bargain. Oh, hang on, it's not a bargain. Yeah, I got sucked into that one. And another thing that, you know, we often hear buyers say is that they, you know, they, they make an offer and they think it has to be really low, you know. Um, you've got to make a really low offer. And it's like, well, sometimes yes. Where often come from, Veronica? Well, yeah, the dad. It does. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, that was completely unscripted, let me tell you. But that is often the dad that says you really need to go in low. you got to go in low. got to go in low, You've got to give yourself plenty of room to move. <laughs> <laughs> and look, sometimes it is a good idea, you know, but it depends on a whole bunch of other things. And often when you go in too low, I mean, you, all you do is insult, you, you annoy the agent, you insult the owner, like yep. you actually do more damage than good half the time when you go with a low offer. Yeah, particularly if they're if, if that offer is nowhere near where they're going to sell, it doesn't matter how much under duress they are, if it is anything above a normal market, so there's a, an equity in supply and demand, then you're shooting yourself in the foot. You're actually on the back. They're going to countersign. If it's a private treaty and you make a really low ball offer, they're going to countersign at a much higher price than they're prepared to sell for simply to say, no. But that's <laughs> if they, like, you go low, I'm going to go high. And then you're further apart than you could have been. That's true. Although sometimes you get no counter offer. But true. And then they're like going, their head, the buyer's head spinning, going, what do I do now? What do I do? What do I do? So they often. And dad sits in the background going, don't be the next one to make the move. Yeah. <laughs> or don't bid against yourself, son. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> crazy things buyers do. Listen to their dads. That's really crazy. But, you know, so sometimes. bought one house in his life, by the way. Yeah, yeah. And it was in 1976. Just because they own a house does not make them an expert. Um, Actually, so on that, the other, the other thing that is really, really um, important, you know, we talk about. Uh, cutting out the noise and only listening to the people who are experts in their field and, and so forth when you're building a team. Dad's not part of your team. Um, <laughs> but, the, but, the, but, but the other thing is to think that because somebody is really successful in business, that they could be quite successful in helping you in a negotiation. And one thing that really hit home to me many, many, many years ago when a, 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 a managing partner of a law firm came to me and said, Megan, I've found this house and want you to negotiate it for me. I said, tell me, you you negotiate you know billion dollar contracts what what is it that you think i bring to the table that you can't do and and this is years ago veronica and he said this is about people and emotions i don't do people and emotions all i'm going to do is annoy them if i try and do this myself so actually separating your, your business mind from a negotiation is quite important so you know get the lawyer there and they're going to have a very different negotiation style <laughs> great self-awareness though yeah Yes, Fantastic self awareness. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And also, you think about it, I often actually do equate what we do to what lawyers do. You know, you see it on those courtroom dramas, and the lawyers will go out the back and they'll they'll actually do a deal often in a in a corporate um litigation. They might do a deal or negotiate a deal before they actually get into the courtroom. And it's because they don't have emotion about it. And it's a bit like mm. when the buyer's agent and the sales agent negotiates, you know, it's a little bit like having those two professionals negotiate the best deal for you because, you know, they're not emotional about it. So but there's the some synergies there. Are. 
Oh, God, yes. Right? So the decision makers. Understanding the emotional context of the decision makers, which is the seller and the buyer, and then being able to have that professional negotiation, having those things, those those um, those factors in mind that makes, I guess, puts that skill where it sits with us. Yeah. Rather which than is, a lawyer. Which is why, which is why agents, you know, they love um, negotiating with buyers because let's face it, you're out of you're out of depth. You know, the agent yeah. is dealing with this sort of thing every single day. They can read your emotions probably better than you can read your own. A good one, that is. I mean, they're not all that good, but you know, yeah. a good one. And they're also not emotional unless they're a starving agent and they're desperate for a sale because they're basically broke. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> and there's a lot emotional. of those out, out there. And if they can put a deal together, they'll put it t- t- together at any cost. But, but the, yeah. other, the flip side of this, Veronica, you know, one of those funny things, crazy things we, we hear and see buyers do is actually going in too high. <laughs> yeah, I know. So the flip side, you know, you, 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 you're low ball and you think you might get a bargain, but if you're going too high, um, there's there's a risk that if you don't present it in the right way or you don't have the right wording around it, that the agent goes, oh, I'm on to a winner. I've still got more than I can squeeze out of this orange. Um, and, and that's what they'll, that's what they'll mm. do. They'll go for it. And they will squeeze and squeeze and squeeze because if you go too high initially without context, um, and when I say context, sometimes going high is the right strategy, but mm. it's got to be with a lot of context around it to essentially mm. say, you know, this is it. how we're gonna. Yeah, well, but you, you can't do a take it or leave it offer if you don't know how to how to word that properly. No, and also people do. They do take it, do a take it or leave it offer, and yeah. then they come and then they back. increase. <laughs> yes. And then the agent goes, oh, "I've got another three or four goes at you." <laughs> <laughs> oh, and we hear Those these stories. Go, this is it. There's no more. And then the agent comes back and goes, "We give me another five. <laughs> Yeah, we might get there, <laughs> and we're laughing, and like we feel very sad for buyers who fall into these traps. But they are funny stories when you when you're on the professional side of this because it's like a lot of these people. Well, you we're know, telling the stories so that other people learn, so that they yes, don't make the same mistakes. Exactly right. So you can save yourself. But you know, there's these these buyers that go in there and they're like they're going right. That's it. My office expires at five o'clock, and then you know at six o'clock, <laughs> then what are you going to do? <laughs> Yeah, and the owners don't finish work until 5.30. Yeah, they haven't set it up. They haven't actually worked out the logistics or, the you know, the, the rules of engagement or even yeah. got the agent on side yeah. to actually mean, you know, to actually be confident that you can deliver on such an offer. And so this is these are the sort of crazy and also one of the big crazy things I think is because they're in a vacuum. It goes back to that person, the type of buyer that sort of invents this whole scenario around the vendor circumstances <laughs> and sort of forgets that they're not the only buyer in the mix. Or sometimes they might be the only buyer as mm. well. And, you know, that comes back to you going in too high. Sometimes you go in too high, total absence of any other buyers. And and then all of a sudden it's accepted. Oh, that was a bit too easy. <laughs> oh, gosh. And then, and then buyer's remorse kicks in. Mm. Oh, I wonder if I should have. Oh. Yeah. Well, and agents know that too. Let's face mm. it. So, you know, once again, an agent, it comes back to you and, and they're going to be careful that you don't think, oh, that was too easy because you might back out. You yeah, know? true, if it's non-binding so, offer. Mm. Yeah, yeah. They're totally aware of all this sort of stuff. So these are, these are all sort of <laughs> lots of crazy things. I mean, another thing I see a lot, particularly with auction campaigns, um, is that they go in too early, mm. you know, mm. that, they don't realise that there's a sort of a sweet spot in an auction campaign and there's like it might work and even that might work 
eight times out of 10, but it's not going to work the other 20% of times. So you go into that a lot in your book. And I think that's mm. a really important point because, um, you know, there aren't a lot of auctions done in, say, Perth or Brisbane, but a lot in Sydney and Melbourne and certainly not a lot regionally. Um, and if you are, you know, lining up for a, a property and you get that timing wrong, you can either miss out because you've gone too late, mm. or be one of the educators of setting the reserve. And, and that's an important part of the process too. And, you, you know, we, we go into that in the course, of course. But that is such an important part to read in your book is when to make an early offer. And, and there can be circumstances when it works. Yeah, and plenty when it doesn't. There's a lot of buyers that would do it out of fear. They think, oh, I want to avoid the auction. It's like, mm-hmm. well, actually, there are certain times that an auction is better for a buyer than other times. So it's it's knowing and each circumstance is different. You know, we we have these podcast episodes. We we chat and chew the fat and, and share some of these funny stories. But there, it has to be a process you go through to narrow it down and decide, you know, it, what is the right way forward this time and if you nail it once and and here's another thing that i come across with buyers i'm sure you do too if they bought one or two properties previously in their lives go well it worked for me that time that's i'm going to do the same thing it's like well it doesn't actually work every time different like you know different circumstance different sellers different agent different buyers in the marketplace even going from one auction to another Mm. you know you could have been quite close on one auction and think yep all right well i'm going to just tweak that strategy that i used you and I have a toolkit of strategies and, and different dialogue and, and different ways that we approach things depending on what type of property it is, what's the demographic of the buyer, what's the agent like and what's their process, what can we find out about the owner, probably the smaller part of the picture often in, in auctions. Even the auctioneer. The auctioneer is important. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. The way that they, will they negotiate off the floor if the, the reserve hasn't been reached and, and what sort of strategy should you use during that negotiation? How realistic is the vendor's expectation? Because there's times when negotiating under the hammer is is beneficial to the buyer, times when passing it in is beneficial to the buyer. All of these different scenarios, and most people go to an auction, they've got no idea. I was talking to this couple the other day and and they've been to their first ever auction together. They've got their third child, just a baby that was like two weeks old at the time. They're driving to the auction. They said that's when they were deciding what they should pay. And they didn't buy it. it. There was only one other bidder and that bidder made one bid and they ended up negotiating afterwards, but they didn't negotiate. Actually, that, that other bidder bought it at their highest bid, right? Ooh. And so when they found that out, they go, oh, we should have stayed there. We could have hung out and, and continued to negotiate. I'm like, even that's insane because it's like, well, if you were prepared to pay more than that highest bidder, then why, why didn't you, you make a bid at the time? That's a crazy thing that, that a buyer has done. a that's such a good example, Veronica. People who go to auctions, and we haven't actually got this on our little list, but let's bring it in now. <laughs> People who go to auctions in a position to bid, they've worked out what they're prepared to pay, they've done their due diligence on the property and they don't bid. Yep, they or they don't bid and or they clam up or whatever. It does and not make any sense whatsoever. And and the old no, you know, dad all in the, the background going, don't show you, keep your cards oh, close yeah. to your chest, don't show your hand. Um, <laughs> I just thought of sorry, another crazy thing. Such- such bad advice because what you're doing is you're actually potentially opening up that negotiation to other buyers after the auction who may have to be conditional on other things now we're talking about um, areas where you can be conditional but you're, you're actually potentially opening up a bigger buyer pool in that case 
And, just, and just, yeah, I mean, but just think in this instance, right, if they just bid 1,000 more or 5,000 more, they would have been the highest bidder and they yeah. would have bought it. <laughs> you know, it just... If you're still inside your limit, you know, read the book. If you're still inside the limit, there are things you must do. But I think that, you know, because people don't think of all the things that they need to think of before they go to auction or before they make an offer, that's when they do crazy things because it's like their head starts spinning when something <laughs> doesn't play out exactly the way they think it should play out. Like the they agent doesn't come the- back and, yeah. and and with the counter off at the, at the amount they imagined or to accept it or whatever, and, and it's like, well, what do I do now? Oh. I haven't got the contingencies. And- <laughs> Yes. One of the other things I see really crazy things, buyers get stubborn. They dig their heels in, <laughs> you know, they sort of dig themselves into a, a corner, you know, and then it's like, okay, now what are you going to do? You know, if you actually want to buy if this you, property, you have to engage with the, with yes. the buyer, with the agent. <laughs> and making demands, and, and this is, can be a little bit market dependent as well, but making demands and, you, you know, you mentioned it earlier, if, there's a, if, you, if you impose a deadline or if you, uh, you know, say this is my final <laughs> offer and I will walk away and it's not and, and it sells to somebody else because you've said, and multiple offers is a really big part of, of this. If you keep your, your cards too close to your chest in a really hot market, you may just be well swept aside by the agent who goes, all right, well, you're out, move on to the next one. Mm. Uh, actually, demands can be effective in the right situation with the right set of circumstances, but where there's lots of other people and, and, and there, there could be, you know, someone come in with a, oh, you know, I really like this, you know, tell me, tell me what offers, you know, and they're more engaging and they're more prepared to be part of the process, then you, you may well be swept aside if you become so stubborn that no one wants mm. to deal with you. You become unpopular. And then the, the agents tar you with that brush. Yeah, they know <laughs> the you. next time you go, next yeah. time you go to an open house and you, you walk in and you might be it's ready and you can afford it and everything and, and they're just potentially going to look at you and go, oh, Tarkika. Time waster. And they do. Absolutely do. Absolutely do. Well, yeah. it's human nature, isn't it? You deal with people who, you know, you don't have to be everyone's friend, but if, you, if there's a level of mutual respect there and an ease of doing business, then people are more likely to do business with you. Oh, God, yeah. Now, one thing that uh, an agent was telling me about very recently, he had a few different offers on the go. So it was a multiple offer situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, you've got to remember when you're a buyer, you've got no idea what's going on. You don't know whether the agent's telling you the truth or not, you know, and but the agents don't always know when the buyer's telling the truth. Mm. And sometimes the buyer doesn't know what they don't know, back to what we're always talking about here. Mm-hmm. And so this particular situation, he was like ropeable because it was competitive and they got the highest price out of buyer. And he went, right, now I need you to deliver me that signed contract and in New South Wales a 66W certificate to waive the cooling off period and your yeah. deposit check or transfer the funds or whatever, however you're going to pay your deposit. Mm-hmm. And the buyer then went, what do you mean? Uh, unconditional. What do you mean, 66W? So, look, oh, part, completely partly, unprepared. Yeah, partly that could be the agent maybe didn't coach them well enough, although I know this agent, I would have assumed this agent knows what they're doing. He was like, they weren't even ready. They told me they were ready. They obviously didn't mm. understand what I meant when I mm. said all this stuff. They hadn't even had their contract review. I asked them about this and they went, oh, no, no, we don't need to worry about that, whatever. They just didn't know what they wanted. They didn't know. And then the agents got 
egg on their face. Mm-hmm. So this is something that, you know, no wonder sometimes agents hate buyers, mm-hmm. you know, and quite often. <laughs> but yeah, agents and, hate and, buyers. and that's, that's the point, isn't it? Because if you're entering into a negotiation of such substantial amounts of money with such big impacts on multiple people's lives, we're talking about a seller, an agent, a buyer, and, and other buyers that are missing out. And other buyers that are missing out, exactly. Um, and, and you haven't actually got yourself into a position. There is a risk that that agent may lose those other buyers if they tie a property up to you in, in a process, mm. which then puts them in a very, very difficult situation with the seller. So if an agent loses a buyer based on something, uh, it, yeah, a, another buyer that actually could mm. have transacted, um, because of something you've done. Oh, wow. Well, there's no legal recourse, geez, it could be tough out there in the marketplace for you. Yeah, I mean, this is a good example of why some agents prefer to go to auction, you know, because this is a situation where they could have burnt all the other buyers or mm. angry and annoyed or whatever. Um, and, you know, in the end, I can't even remember what happened, to be honest. I just remember when I was speaking to him, he was just like, this is why I love dealing with buyers agents. It would never happen. He was <laughs> yeah. fuming, like, and, and, and quite rightly so. I would have been fuming if I was mm. him as well. So that's a really crazy thing. And, and in fact, I want to that- go back to one point that you said then, Veronica, and that was, um, you know, I would have assumed that the agent had coached them through. I, I think it's really important that buyers don't assume that agents will coach them through this process because it's actually not the agent's job. It's, it's actually the buyer's job to know what they need to do, when they need to do it, who they need to involve, what point they need to get to. Um, they, they are in their rights to assume that if they say it has to be an unconditional offer and I need a 66W, you need to scurry off and find out what that means. Yes. <laughs> yeah, you either need to do the course, you need to engage a buyer's agent, you need to speak to a solicitor, how it, whatever you need to do to understand what it is to make an offer that's unconditional in that case or, or binding. You, you, it is your job to do it for yourself, not to rely on an agent to tell you what to do and how to do it because they're not representing you. No. So, look, you know, they'll do their job in the way that they want to line up as many bars as possible and actually get the possible best price for mm. their, their client. Um, but at the end of the day, like Megan's saying, it's not their responsibility, it is yours, yours. which is why we created the course because we fully believe that buyers have a responsibility to arm yourself and know what you are getting yourself in for. Mm. Um, and it also on means that, you understand the dialogue that you're, yes. you're engaging in. <laughs> oh, this is what I was about to say. Those agents have got certain ways of saying things, certain ways of framing stuff. And if you actually deal with them often enough, you will actually start to learn which ones say the same things every single time. <laughs> like and robots. what it may mean. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, one of the things that they, you know, they will often give you a bit of dialogue that will actually, like, knock you off your perch a little bit. You know, they'll so you might have put your offer in and they'll say, all right, well, that's fine. You know, thanks for your offer of 500000 So if I get an offer of 520 from someone, should I keep you posted? And all of a sudden you go, oh, oh, how am I going to answer that? If yeah. I say yes, keep me posted, then I've got a 520. <laughs> and if I say, there's a 520 in your pocket. And if yeah. I say don't, then they won't. You know what I mean? It's, it's a and really. And you might miss out if you're prepared to pay 520. Yes. So being prepared for that dialogue is, is really, really, really important because they're very, you know, some of them, not all of them, but the ones that are very well trained are very good at, um, at hitting you with something that you feel compelled to answer. And, you know, if you're, caught off guard you often will give away way more than you really intended to yeah or or on the worst case scenario miss out on something that you actually could have and would have bought 
Yes. Uh, so it is It is a really tricky, fine line to be able to listen. And, and the more agents you talk to, the more you hear this script and dialogue, and it is very script and dialogue with the best agents. They really mm. know what questions to ask, what they're looking for in your answers. Um, and if you can arm yourself with your own script and dialogue, and, and this is a lot, you know, we talk about this in the course, then you have answers to these questions that don't reveal too much but actually don't cut you out of the process. Yeah, that's a real challenge, isn't it? Mm. It's very important. So making an offer, as I think we've sort of demonstrated today, is never as simple as knowing just what the property is worth, although obviously that's a very important, very important first step. step. Mm. You, know, you mm. must arm yourself with the right information and then follow a process, which, of course, is something that we do teach in your first-time buyer guide. Uh, so we obviously recommend that you do the course so that you can learn that process because I think, you know, if this conversation hasn't revealed anything, it would it has revealed anything. I mean, the biggest thing I think it should show you is the variability of things that can happen yeah. and how to you need to be prepared for all all different types of um, responses. And it's not just a one size fits all. It is really about having a toolkit of responses and directions and, you know, the famous 2020 word of tilt uh, as something comes your way that you weren't expecting. It, it is so true. You have to have that toolkit. In this episode, we've covered a very small part of our 10-step online course for first-time buyers. If you would like to learn more about the process and how to buy without making a mistake, then head over to our website, www.homebuyeracademy.com.au. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you won't miss an episode. And if you like what you've heard today, please give us an iTunes review. Five stars would be wonderful. It will help others find us as well. Thank you for joining us. We hope you found this really useful. And if you have, please share the love with others who you know are in the same boat. We'll be back next week with some more priceless stuff.